0: And
1: bustle, we kind of maybe have have been a little discombobulated with our um, announcements for our Christmas for Christ offering. And I think some of you were prepared to give tonight, and some of you were not prepared to give tonight. And we've got a lot of people traveling, and so we're going to give our Christmas for Christ offering next Sunday night. So on December the 29th, uh, we are going to give our, our Christmas for Christ offering. And uh, you can bring that, and uh, we will offer uh, that. And I, I did mention that a portion of that is going to remain uh, here because we're home missions. Did y'all, did y'all hear that? We, we, have, we have turned into a home missions church. And it's important that we get the mindset that we are home missionaries and we have got to fill up this place. And so there are some things that, that we will be doing in uh, 2020. I like that. Um, and um, so we just, uh, we, we just need to get in soul conscious uh, that, that all of us are witnesses And um, so we will be doing that on next Sunday night. James chapter 4. I would like to begin in verse number 4. The Bible says there, Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Well, that's pretty direct. That's pretty politically incorrect and religiously incorrect. But James was talking to a church... And this is what he says. He says, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep, Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And I want to preach to you on this thought about power over sin. And we're going to walk through this passage of Scripture here tonight. And there are some things here that I believe will be helpful to all of us. The Word of the Lord is always helpful to our lives. Let's ask the Lord to touch us here tonight. Lord, we ask You again that You would minister and work, Lord, in our hearts and in our minds. We know, God, that Your Word, Lord, has great power. Lord, we're never, God, at, at a place where that the Scriptures, the Word of God, is not powerful. But, Lord, often it is us God, that as you speak, Lord, to us, that, Lord, that our our own weakness is God. We pray, Lord, that somehow, Lord, tonight, that those would, God, be cast aside and that the Word and the Spirit would work inside of our hearts and that you would help us, God, to be, Lord, men and women. God, that would be productive and fruitful, Lord, in this world. God, that somehow, Lord, that we would be ready for the one to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you uh, for standing. Power to overcome sin. I would tell you here tonight that there are uh moments in your life where that uh the devil observes, he watches. Uh, he looks for places in in my character. He looks for places in your character as well that that are weak spots he He studies he he watches he observes and and uh he tries to do things that would move us in to a place that would make us susceptible to either uh a sinful compromise or a moral. Uh, failing or a spiritual uh, compromise or, or even backsliding if you would uh, look at it in that particular way. I'm also aware of the fact that that we have to be on guard that we are emotional and psychological individuals, and there are times where that that you look throughout the scripture and you can begin to see very clearly that the Lord is calling for us to take care of our minds and to watch how that uh, that that the mind is carefully guarded. Uh, in its work here in this world. Because the enemy would try to exploit our emotions and our minds as well as our own actions of our physical body. And the way to overcome that is to remember where that, that our identity comes from. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 13 it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. We have, as saints of God, whenever you were filled with the Spirit, you were removed out of one kingdom, and your citizenship was transferred into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God. And that means that that whenever you were moved out of the kingdom of darkness, and that you were placed into the kingdom of light, that then all of the sudden the tactics of the enemy change because now he he realizes that that he has has lost somebody I suppose you could say that, that the child of God has been moved in to a new identity and a new place and he has lost that battle of where we are to be converted and filled with the spirit and so now that you are on a pathway of eternal salvation which I pray that all of us are here tonight. But if you're not, then you need to stir your heart and to understand the need for the new birth and to be born again of water and of spirit. But as we begin Uh, To enter into our walk just because we have been filled with the Spirit does not mean that the enemy is all of a sudden going to throw in the towel and that he is going to give up. (coughs) In fact, what... Uh, the enemy begins to do as he tries to get us into a place where that uh, there are unresolved sins or you could put it like this that there are unconfessed sins that are present in every one of of uh, he tries to get us into a place where that we would we would be sinful and where that uh, there are traps and snares of temptation that would come in our direction. Because the fact is, is that if he can get you into a place where that that you do not confess your sin and that there is a place where that you are not close to repentance, then the enemy can take it. Advantage of your relationship with God. And what he does is he tries to create challenges to your own forward spiritual growth. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Hebrews chapter, one, chapter 12 and look with me there to verse 1 the Bible says to us uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 I will wait for you uh, to get there. It's a a passage of scripture that I believe that that it ought to be something of a warning to us where that it's constantly a sense where that we're aware of what's taking place. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 it says wherefore seeing we also are compassionate about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now hear me tonight, whenever I tell you this, he is talking to people that have been filled with the Spirit. He's telling these people that are in that church there, he's saying, I want you to understand that there are things that, that there are weights and there are sins that that can sometimes, that they can beset us. And as you run this race, it is important for you to be able to throw off all of those things that would hinder your walk in the Lord. I'd like to read to you here tonight some cross-references that come from this particular passage of Scripture. And, And I want you to follow along with me in your Bible, and I will take time for you to get there. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8 and let's look at what just this one book, the gospel of Luke, has to say to us about this important matter of understanding that we need to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Look with me to Luke chapter 8 and look in verse 14. The Bible says there, it says, and that, which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard they go forth and they are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. If you have a red letter Bible you understand that the Lord is saying there that there's times where that the word begins to be dropped out into a place and it falls on four different kinds of soul. and he says it here. He says that there is some that fell among the thorns and he said it's important for you to understand that the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life that they can hinder your spiritual relationship that you have with the Lord. I dare say that we could tie that up to what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that he is saying that there are weights and sins that attach themselves to us whenever we begin to pursue the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. But turn over a page with me to Luke chapter 9 and look with me to verse 59 of what the Lord again had to say here in Luke chapter 50 or Luke chapter 9 and verse 59. He says it like this and he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer or allow me first to go and to bury my father. And you think that how, how it was almost like it was rude. I know some of y'all think I'm rude and think I'm direct and straightforward. But this is what the Lord said. He said, hey, wait a minute. He said, somebody's died and this is what the Lord said. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, you let the dead bury their dead, but you go forth and you preach the gospel of the kingdom. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home and at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you see what he's saying there? He's talking about this matter that that there are weights and sins that can be picked up where it is cause of a lack of our priorities in our lives. And when your priorities get out of tune and out of sorts, it is difficult to see the kingdom of God as God would see it. And I pray here tonight that the remedy for that is that we would have the Spirit and the Word to operate in our hearts and again that we would remember that we are not citizens of this world but we are citizens of the world to come. Turn over with me a few pages to Luke chapter 12 and look at what the Lord has to say there. Luke chapter 12 and look with me to verse 15. He said it like this. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things that he possesses. How strange that the Lord would say that. That he again begins to realize that the things that we try to draw to ourselves, that the world would look at that, and the world would say, That is what makes a man successful is the square footage and the the awards or, or the things on the wall or the car that he drives and yet Jesus was very clear in this whenever he began to say, he was saying, I want you to grasp and to understand this one thought that success in life is not made up of what I possess i realize again that that again that that goes radically different from what we would hear in uh, this world. Turn over a page or two to Luke chapter 14 and look with me to verse 26. Luke 14 and 26. Here is what the Lord has to say. He said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it? lest happily after he have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it and then all that behold it began to mock him saying this man began to build and he was not able to finish or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000 or after while the other is yet a great way off he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace so likewise whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath he cannot be my disciple and then turn over a few pages to Luke chapter 18 and look with me in Luke chapter 18 and look with me there in verse 22 the Bible says this and now when Jesus had heard these things he said unto him yet lackest thou one thing sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me and when he heard this he was very sorrowful for he was very rich and when Jesus saw that he was sorrowful he said How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. I would say to you here tonight that we have only read a few of the things that the Lord had to say. I would like to read one more. Look in Luke chapter 21 and look with me to verse 34. This is the part where that he comes down at the, at the end of the Olivet Discourse whenever they begin to look and begin to ask him, when shall be the sign of your return? And here's what he says in Luke chapter 21 and verse 34. He said, and take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life and so that day come upon you unawares. There are so many other verses that you look at and that you can find in the New Testament and you say oh my how how difficult and how challenging these words are that the Lord had to say to us but I would just say here to you tonight that the Lord needs two milers. He needs those that are somehow that they're willing to say I don't want to just go one mile. I don't want to just be somebody that fulfills reasonable service but I want my heart and my life to be lived out in a way where that I walk through this life and I am as free from as many distractions that I find myself Uh, somehow being caught up with. We look at that and we say, "Oh, how it is that the Lord would say such hard things to us." But listen to me, church. The Lord was saying, he was letting us know that there's got to be spiritual preparation. That if you're going to be a citizen in heaven, the verses that I have read to you here tonight, they resonate with you. They 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 do something in your heart and in your life that there's a feeling that says, oh, I want that kind of stuff. But if your relationship is not what it should be with the Lord, then what I have read to you here tonight, it doesn't mean so much. And I don't want to be in that category. The Bible tells us there's other verses that we look at that that the New Testament epistles tell us that, that we should steer away from sin and yet a spirit filled believer lives in this world because I would confess to you here tonight that all of the verses that I just read, well most of them, I'm not stuck with drunkenness and surfeiting, okay, so don't walk out here and think that I'm doing that. However these verses here tonight night that I would have to tell you that it's not so much the attraction as it is the distraction that you live in this world that you say oh God I've got to have a focus in my life and in my spirit because you need people in this generation that can somehow make a difference in such a way with their prayer and with their worship and with their lifestyle that you really have true disciples that are able to fulfill and do the will and the calling of God and one of the reasons that the enemy fights against us is because he wants to use these things that I just read to you here tonight to cause you to pick up besetting sins and weights that distract and hinder the forward progress in your way Walk with the Lord. There's a group of people that lived in the 16 and 1700s and they were identified as the Puritans. Whenever you begin to read some of their old sermons, and I would just tell you they have gotten a black eye by people that really did not realize all that they were about. And so you hear the joke sometimes that that they're they're puritanical and they're against everything but but fresh air, but that's only just a small portion of their culture. To holiness Their, Their understanding and grasp Of the kingdom of God Is that whenever you begin to invest yourself In reading some of the sermons That these people preached That they walked to the march Or to the beat of a different drummer And yet whenever they looked at sin They looked at it With a clear consciousness of sin Thomas Brooks said it like this He said it's not the falling into the water But it's the lying in the water that drowns you. He said it's not falling into sin. He said but it's laying there in that sin that ultimately damns that person's soul. John Bunyan said it like this. He said prayer will make a man cease from sin or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. How true is that? Now you heard what Brother Patterson said this past Wednesday night. In fact, my dad said something to me about it Thursday morning. He said, you know, said Brother Patterson talking Wednesday night when he was preaching, he said it's hard to backslide when you're praying. There never has been a truer statement than there's times where that if you stop praying, then what you do is you make yourself almost it's like it is fair season for the enemy to attack and to come against you. Stephen Charnock said it like this, a man in every sin aims to set up his own will as his rule and as his own glory as the end of his actions. And what does his actions do? It puts him against the will and the purpose of God. I would just tell you here tonight that I don't want to be in that place where I am against the will and the purpose and the glory of God. William Gurnall said it like this, he said the Christian's armor decays in two ways. It decays either by a violent fight when the Christian is overcome by temptation to sin or else it comes by neglecting whenever he refuses to clean and scour it with the use of those means which are as oil to keep it bright and to keep it clean. And so Be careful that you do not open up avenues and that you do not open up doors that causes sin to be able to step into your life. <coughs> and yet there's been more than a few that have found themselves in a place where that, that they have stumbled and that they have failed. And that there are areas that they have gotten into practices and they are doing things. And there even may be people here tonight that is under the sound of my voice that you are actively living in a place where that God is not Please with you and the actions that you are doing, I would just say turn around and come back in the direction of the Lord. Turn your life around and respond to the call and the purpose of God in your life. Don't stay where you're at, but turn around and come back to the Lord. I know most of us like that part of do it yourself, and sometimes most of my do it yourself projects turn into disasters. I guess I'm the only one here that my do it yourself. I'm going to tell you something, okay, a two-hour plumbing job at my house, and it's just a plump, it's just, I just go to Lowe's and just get the little curve and get the little deal, and you can do it. I'm telling you, you can do it. And after you've wrestled for about 10 hours and you have nearly blasphemed the, no, I'm not going to go that far. But you have been in a place where you have almost jeopardized your salvation and then you call some of these men, brother Jay, can you come help me? Brother Paul Miller, can you come help me? Or you get out there and decide you're going to work on your lawnmower, and and uh, you start going, and the next thing you know, you got a thousand pieces that are scattered out the garage. And so then, what you thought was going to be a do-it-yourself project, you start calling, and and brother Johnny, you you need to come out here and save the day because it is quickly gotten away from me, and and yet most of us what we like that do it yourself or how to well I'm going to tell you some things tonight about how to but it's not going to turn and go south like those projects if there is a text that has one of the clearest places in scripture to help us to have power over sin it is this passage that I have read to you I'd like for you to turn back in your Bible's to James chapter 4, and I am going to read James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10 in the Christian Standard Bible. Here's the way that that it is read. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whosoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think that it is without reason that the Scripture says that the Spirit, He made to dwell in us, envies intensely, but He gives greater grace? And therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He says, therefore, submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I want you to look at two questions here. Look in James chapter 4. In verses 4 and 5, there are two questions there. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? But there's another question. Do you think that it is without reason that the Scripture says that the Spirit He made to dwell in us envies intensely? What does that mean? I would pray that all of us have experienced that at some point in your relationship with God. There's been times where that, that you have walked in this world and, and there have been obstacles in front of you. There have been detours or places that you have, have gotten off of the beaten path and all of a sudden the Spirit rises up inside of you and begins to speak to you about the direction that your life has taken you. And so one of them, those questions there is negative. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? But, but the other one that James writes is, is positive. He's saying, look, he's saying, realize this, that the positive part is that when you do get involved in that marriage, that the spirit, Begins to work on the inside and begins to speak to you, and so those two questions, those those uh, out of that, there comes two commands, two laws, two essential things, and I want to work with some of those here tonight. In verses six and seven, here is what we find: we find a call to submit. And then in verses eight through 10, we find a call to commit. Let's look at James four, six and seven. It says he that "But he giveth more grace, Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. submit yourselves, therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you." And here's a key factor in what James is saying. He's saying, "I want you to pay attention, church." He said, listen, he said, whenever you find yourself in a place where that you are attacked with sin and that there is a failure, what does the Word say? The Word says he gives more grace. That's challenging for us. Because there's times where we like to keep score. We like to keep the score. We like to remember, oh yeah, in 1975 this happened and and yet James is coming along and he's saying that the Lord supplies to us more grace. That right there is the force behind every bit of the holiness or the salvation or the sanctification in your life is knowing this is that the grace of God sustains us. And it helps us in our walk with the Lord. But James is also very clear. He says he gives grace, but he resists what is proud. And one of the earliest places in Scripture that you first find a resistance or you start looking at what pride is doing is whenever you see Cain in the book of Genesis. Cain rises up against God and he says, you know what? I know, God, you have stipulated a a form of worship and you have put boundaries up, but I don't like what you've called us to do. And so therefore, he said, I'm going to make my own system of worship. How did Cain do that? It's because Cain was proud. And there's people in our world here today that what do they say? Oh, they say, Oh, you say that I must be born of water and of spirit? You say that I must repent and that I must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of of my sins. And you say that I have to be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the initial sign of speaking with tongues. But I don't like that. I don't like the new birth. I don't like the call for salvation. And so what happens? As Cain begins to engineer his own plan of salvation, he says, "I know what Abel's done. I know Abel is being called. Abel is responding that there's a blood sacrifice. But let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get some of my vegetables out of my garden. I'm going to go get some fruit off of the tree, and I'm going to use my own system of worship. And it won't." There were others that were guilty of that same matter of pride. Nimrod and Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar. And James comes along and he says, I want to help you. He says, if you are humble and if you will call on the name of the Lord, then if we will submit ourselves, then the devil will flee from you. Now here's a way where you can figure out when we're moving on and about to be finished. I'm going to give you six points. And I have to confess these points are not my own. I got them out of a a book because I love books. But I run across a book that Tom White wrote called The Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. And here's what he has to say. If you're going to be successful in your battle against sin, then there's some things you need to understand. The first one is this. Is that we have to be willing to separate ourselves from worldly idolatry. And don't put worldly idolatry into a place where that there are images that are built and made. If you are going to walk in this world successfully, spiritually, you have to be willing to separate your life from the idolatries of this present age. And I would tell you here tonight, you would almost have to be asleep. But again, I'm going to keep telling you there are destructive distractions that are doing their best to try to gum up and hinder the forward progress of the spiritual fruit in your own life. I believe that. It's highly unlikely, and I say this with all humility, but it's highly unlikely that the... That, that you that have been in the church for any length of time that you're going to fall to some big ticket sin and the enemy knows that. Now that's not to say that we should disregard what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 about vigilance and being sober because our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That does not remove the matter of you being vigilant or sober in your life. But the enemy probably realizes, I'm not going to be able to get this person to be able to fall. And so what does he do? He will gum up the forward progress. And so how does he do that? I'll tell you how he does that. He gets you involved in idolatry. And so, how does idolatry work? Idolatry, a lot of times, is we can buy things. And the next thing you know, you start buying, and then you start understanding what debt is about. And then you get under this crushing blow of debt. And the next thing you're doing is you're trying to work extra hours, you're trying to find extra jobs why? Is to try to get out from under that burden of debt. I'm going to use one of Brother Arnold's famous statements. It's quieter in here than a rat eating ice. Because I think all of us probably realize and understand that that's a distraction. It's to get you so overwhelmed. Or to get you to veg out. I'm stressed. And so how am I going to veg out? I'm going to use Netflix and I'm going to use YouTube and I'm going to use a variety of other things to cause me to zone out and to move away from. We need to live our life in a way where that, that we seek to move away from things that wouldn't hinder fruitfulness in our lives. Here, here, here is the second thing that will help you to be successful. The second thing is submit to God in brokenness and humility. You ever heard that statement we used to say when we were kids, I'm I'm honest honest to God? You ever made that statement? Well, let me tell you there's times where we just need to get honest with the Lord. Not, not not, honest with it's like that old song says it's me oh Lord standing in the need of prayer it's not my brother it's not my sister oh Lord it is me that's standing in the need of prayer and what do you do you become honest with the Lord and the more honest you are with God if there are any areas of pride and selfish presumption in your life when you get God to turn on the lights and God starts walking in your heart and in your spirit. He begins to say, let's deal with this. And yet perhaps the most difficult thing in this area is this, is am I willing to submit to God's will for my life? That used to be a big deal when I was a kid. Praying about the will of God. Is it, is it the will of God for me to have this? Or is it the will of God for me to take this job? Is it the will of God? and I realize that, that there were probably some excesses and abuses that took place in that generation. But I, I wish that, that we would hear that statement in this generation more. Is it the will of God for me to take this job? Is it the will of God for me to move to this particular place? Is it the will of God for me to make this particular decision? That ought to be foremost in every one of our lives that you ask yourself the question, am I fulfilling the will of God in my life? And so those verses there, 6 and 7, is a call for us to submit, but, but if you have your Bibles, look with me to James chapter 4 and look in verse 8. It says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, you read this and critics of the Bible would say, see there, God's a killjoy right there. God's trying to take every bit of the fun out of your life. That is not the context of this passage. The context of this passage is James is talking about true repentance. Have you ever been in a place of true repentance where you were down on your knees and there were tears that were flowing and there was an openness before God? There was a mourning that was there and you begin to cry out to the Lord and you begin to say, Lord, I am here and I need you to work in my heart and in my spirit. Hear me, church. The greatest cleansing that can take place in your heart and in your spirit is whenever you get into that place of prayer. And notice what James writes there. Look, look. He says, draw nigh, draw near, draw close. James is helping us. He's seeing. He's saying, look, I want to show you something. There is a distance that sometimes that can be between you and the Lord. And when you get that distance between you and the Lord, it affects what takes place in your life. Now, for all you married folks, you know what it's like when there's tension in the house. And it's like you're at one end of the house and she's at the other end. Now that never happens at my house. I want you to know that. But, but, but y'all know what that's like. And yet, Here's what James is saying. He's saying that when there is a part that our minds and spirits, that when we allow the enemy to come into our lives, that there's a distance that begins to develop and that we begin to be far away from the Lord. If you think about the host of hymns that address that matter of us being separated by sin from God, It can cause your mind to seek the Lord. In fact, we sung this song here just a few days ago. William Newell wrote these lines in his hymn at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. Where? At Calvary mercy there was great and grace was free pardon there was multiplied to me there my burdened soul found liberty where was it at it was at calvary if there is a distance between me and god the best place that there is a remedy is for me to revisit calvary and say lord if i can see you again on the cross if i can look at you in that place where you you are bleeding and you're dying for my sins, then I know that you're able to help me. The third thing that that I would point out to you here tonight is wash your hands of any known sin. Repent and receive the washing of forgiveness. Because I'm going to tell you what forgiveness does. It puts the enemy to flight. That there's a clarity about understanding the power and the strength of forgiveness. I'm going to tell you something. A clear conscience is crucial. In fact, I believe it is one of the main components in our relationship with God that we have a clear conscience. Because you know what a clear conscience does? A clear conscience makes you available for any kind of spiritual service at any moment that you're not having to worry about. Well, i got to repent and pray through before I can get involved in this particular thing or that particular thing. That if your is is clear then you are immediately available for service and that's what the enemy knows he knows if he can keep our conscience clouded and keep our conscience in a place where that our conscience is troubled what does it do it hinders our service Because what a troubled conscience does is it rationalizes and justifies everything that we refuse to bring to the cross. But hear me, church, verbal confession. When you say it out loud and you begin to confess, I'm not talking about confessing to your neighbor. I'm not talking about confessing to somebody on the phone. I'm not talking about going and getting in a confessional booth. I'm talking about getting into a place of prayer and you begin to verbalize verbally confess and say, Lord, these are the things I've been involved in and they are not pleasing to you and they have hindered my relationship with you and now I'm asking you to cleanse me. I want to tell you something. The Spirit of God will descend on every one of us if we are able to confess our sins to the Lord and begin to speak to Him and say, Lord, help me in this place. James writes it. He says, cleanse your, he- your hands. He, you, you, you see, your hands speak of your outward life. They speak of the things that you put your hands on every day and the things that you do. It's the one that, that people can see. And we are to have clean paths as we walk out outward signs of holiness. That's what James says. James says, listen, he said, I want you to cleanse your hands. But here's the fourth thing that I would point out to you here tonight. Purify your heart of any double-minded wavering. Purify your heart of any double-minded wavering. Why is that important? It's because the Lord wants to know where our first devotion is and I, I again realize and I've heard even some prominent social critics of the word of God begin to say, begin to criticize this but Wednesday night during Brother Patterson's Bible study we ran across some of these scriptures whenever we were reading those but the Lord is a jealous God. Exodus 34 and 14 Deuteronomy 4 and 24 Deuteronomy 5 and 9, Deuteronomy 6 and And 15, Joshua 24 and 19, Nahum 1 and 2. And the world would look at it and they would say, Oh my, he's a jealous God. See, he is a jealous deity. Listen to me. It has nothing to do with any comparison whatsoever to any of the other gods that would be in this world. But what the word of the Lord is telling us is that there is a devotion that the Lord's calling me to live my life out. And any veering off, what does that do? It causes me to understand what the Lord is. And so James wants us to understand. He's saying, look, not only does it take your hands to be clean, but it takes your heart, purify your heart. Why did James call for us to purify our heart? Because that's the inner man. That's the man that nobody knows your best friend, your spouse, your closest connection. The reality is that even they don't know who you are, but God knows. And that's why James was saying, he was saying, listen to me, I want you to understand it's important for you not only to cleanse your hands, but it's important for you to purify your hearts. The fifth thing that I would say to you is this, is realize how truly serious your struggle with the world and the flesh and the devil. Realize how serious that, that struggle really is. It's, 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 it's paramount. It's a priority in your life. And sometimes if we have flippant and half-hearted attitudes that's inappropriate whenever you start seeking the presence of God and i I was at a as was with a friend of mine close friend of mine in fact, he'll be coming to preach here in january, and uh, we we were talking and 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 some of it was church talk. and I'm saying church talk it was not about his church or this church that I pastor, it was just an observation of overall of American Christianity and to realize how superficial it's gotten. And right now, I'm fighting with the clock. It's 7.32, just turned, 7.32. It's like, we we got Denny's waiting on us. We got Applebee's waiting. We got this wait, that, it's what, what causes us is because what has happened is, is our worship services has just become something else. You just check off on the list. It's just check it off. I'm here, I'm here, Brother Patterson, I'm here. And what does that do? It caters to a superficial relationship. And yet, whenever we walk in this place, there ought to be something about every one of us. His Lord... I want to feel your majesty. I want to see you exalted because I will tell you this the higher that our view of scripture is the higher that our view of God will be and if you have a church that honors scripture then don't worry that church will honor God because whenever you honor scripture what you're doing is you literally are understanding what the word of God is saying about this God that we worship and you say, I've got to get into the presence of the Lord. And then the last thing, the sixth thing, is this. And this may be the easiest one, is resist the devil. You say, oh, that, you, you're kidding me, That that's easy? It's easy if you fulfill everything that James is laying out. And he comes along and he says, look, church, he said, if you will allow yourself to fall into this particular thing, to purify your hearts, to cleanse your hands, to cleanse your heart, to humble yourself, to cry out before the Lord, then what happens is, is you can resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. And this is where we sometimes falter because we're Pentecostal in theology and practice. And so what we do is we capitalize on the power of the Spirit. But listen to me. Just as much as there is a power of the Spirit that we have to depend on, there is a certain amount of personal responsibility that you have to depend on as well. You see this jacket, this suit coat I've got on? I got this suit coat out of the closet this morning and uh, I went in there and pulled it off and I didn't walk in there and command it in the name of Jesus, get on me. I don't care how spiritual I was. And how close to the Lord I am. I can't walk into my closet and command my jacket. Okay, jacket, you got to get on. Get on. Come on. No, if I want this jacket on, you know what I have to do? I got to get it off the hanger. I got to put one arm in. I got to pull it. And I got to get the other arm in. And now I have put on this jacket. There's some put-on and put-off passages in the Word of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, and there is a mirror passage in Colossians 3, that we are to put on some things, and we are to put off some things. And there are times whenever you resist the devil that you have to put things off, and you have to put things on. What are you doing? You're taking a sense of personal responsibility for your walk with the Lord. And there is no substitute for my personal responsibility in my relationship with God. I want us to stand here tonight. And I just want to leave you with this. Romans 6 comes to mind. You remember what Romans 6 is about? Romans 6 talks about us yielding ourselves. But Paul writes it like this. If you're going to yield yourself to God, how will you do that? You mortify your flesh. And what does mortification do? Mortification is like one of the old Puritans said. He said, you best be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. Let me say that if you familiar, you ever heard that before? One of the old Puritans, John Owen, said it like this. He said, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And so we submit to his will. We call on the name of the Lord. And then we receive cleansing. We receive forgiveness. And the Lord steps in your life and says, this is how you have power over sin. And I pray here tonight that every one of us would have that desire to say, you know what? I want power over sin in my life so that my conscience is clear my mind and spirit's alive would you lift your hands to the Lord right now Lord I'm thankful for your word I'm thankful Lord for your spirit and I'm asking you Lord tonight that you help every single one of us Lord that are here in this church that God that there's a desire Lord that we have power Lord over sin I know Lord that there's times where that that sin it does so easily beset us but I'm praying Jesus tonight that the work of your spirit, the work of your word would draw us into a place where our minds and hearts are open God to hearing your voice in Jesus name we pray in Jesus name I'm going to take